0: Each year, millions of visitors flood America's national parks. But have you ever wondered how such unique places like Grand Canyon, Yosemite, and Yellowstone were formed? Did they take millions of years? Stay tuned. National parks reveal some of the dramatic processes that took place during the flood. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. There's a certain kind of peace and tranquility that awaits visitors at America's National Parks. From Yosemite's towering El Capitan, to Yellowstone's Old Faithful, to Grand Canyon's majestic beauty, these wonders can stir the soul and cause many to say of the Creator, how great thou art. But what formed the breathtaking landscapes of many of America's National Parks? Did it take millions of years for these spectacular showcases to develop? or were they shaped by catastrophic events? Stay tuned for the next 15 minutes as we focus on how three of the most popular national parks located in the western United States were formed. As we learn about the formation of Grand Canyon, Yosemite, and Yellowstone National Parks, we find that although they were each created through different geological processes, it seems like each of these natural wonders came about by one worldwide catastrophe, Noah's Flood. How is this possible? ICR geophysicist Dr. John Baumgartner says the Earth not only endured destructive forces during the global deluge, but after the rain had stopped, the world was still experiencing catastrophic destruction. I believe, for various
1: reasons, that the most intense activity was correlated with the 40 days and 40 nights of rain. But you read that Noah stayed on board the ark a, a bit more than a year And the subsiding of the water took many months to occur. The most intense activity occurred during the 40 days, but the months immediately after that had to be also involved significant motions of rock, and just the subsidence of things in the time that the water was running off also had to involve significant catastrophe in various places around the earth. Then after Noah got off the ark, it's my conviction that there was still significant catastrophism in
0: various places. So how did events of the flood create such beauty that is now preserved as national parks? Let's find out by first examining what could have happened to form Grand Canyon in northern Arizona. National parks
1: reveal in dramatic ways some of the dramatic processes that took place during the flood and after the flood. So the Grand Canyon exposes the results of several weeks of catastrophic water process, uh, rapidly moving water, transporting millions of cubic miles of sediment around on the continent, depositing them in these layers that we see today, so, you see evidence of catastrophic sedimentation, erosion, and sedimentation in the layers of the Grand Canyon. And then the canyon itself represents the cutting away and erosion of a channel through these sediments, which was also catastrophic, but probably occurred after the flood as the interior of the continent adjusted in height. And uh, at one point, a large lake broke through a dam and cut
0: rapidly cut
1: a channel, which is now the Grand Canyon.
0: ICR geologist Bill Hosh agrees and says the evidence supports a catastrophic formation of Grand Canyon. You can look at the present-day
2: river going through that canyon, and you can wonder, did that little river carve this great big canyon over millions of years? And you study it, and you look at it, and you know that present river doesn't look like it's doing any geologic work at all. And so whatever carved Grand Canyon, it looks like it was something in the past, something of a much more catastrophic nature than the present day processes. So just pure logic alone would speak to some kind of a former catastrophe that carved Grand Canyon, because the present doesn't seem to be explaining it. And yet the world wants to say the present is the key to the past and all this kind of thing. It breaks down. We must go to a catastrophist view of Earth history by logic alone, and it just so happens that that catastrophic view fits in very comfortably with my biblical view of Earth history.
0: Perhaps the most beautiful place in the state of California is Yosemite National Park. Towering granite walls, lush evergreens, and diverse wildlife make this place a favorite of many park visitors. But as Bill Hosh explains, this natural wonder went through much different types of processes than Grand Canyon.
2: When we look at a national park like Yosemite, we see something quite different. There, we have steep walls that were carved by glacial ice. Thousands of feet of ice once occupied that area, and it just downcut into that valley. Now, some people say that the Ice Age lasted for hundreds of thousands of years, but you could have done that work in a much
0: shorter period of time. So, Yosemite was formed during the Ice Age, but what does the Ice Age have to do with Noah's Flood? If there was a global flood in the not-so-distant past...
2: You would expect, for several reasons, the oceans would have been left in a relatively warm condition, which would have meant high amounts of evaporation over the oceans, uh, large numbers of clouds transporting moisture over the continents falling as rain, and so forth. And some of that rain in the northern climates would, of course, condense to form snow. Snow would compact and form glaciers, and you could have an ice age following the flood in a short time frame. You don't need hundreds of thousands of years to do this.
0: One of the most popular national parks in America is located in northwestern Wyoming and offers its guests fantastic all-natural waterwork shows. Bill Hosh tells us how Yellowstone National Park was formed.
2: Yellowstone represents a gigantic hole in the ground (laughs) that opened up in the past and vomited out just such quantities of liquid rock that it just boggles the mind. And we think that happened in the early post-flood period because it looks like it was around the time perhaps just before the glaciers were really getting going in North America. A volcano, scientists have to use a different word today. They call them supervolcanoes
0: because they just boggle the mind in their in their immensity. So how does the worldwide flood play into the existence of Yellowstone? Dr. Baumgartner tells us that super volcanoes such as Yellowstone, occurred because of residual effects of the catastrophic breaking open of the Earth during Noah's flood.
1: I for 20 years lived in and worked in Los Alamos at Los Alamos National Laboratory the laboratory and the town is built on the eastern flank of a large volcano this volcano erupted during the ice age and uh, it's estimated put out something like 600 cubic kilometers of volcanic ash That much ash is enough to cover the whole state of New Mexico six feet deep. So that's uh, on the order of 600 times bigger than Mount St. Helens. I mean, even the eruption of Mount St. Helens is uh, hard for the human mind to really imagine. But volcanoes a thousand times bigger is just extremely hard to relate to for a human being. And yet we find many of these in the geological record. This is pointing to some processes that are simply not occurring today. And these big volcanoes that erupted during the ice age would be in the time after the flood and the earth was still in the process of coming back to a state of reasonable stability.
0: America's national parks do not lack for company as people from all over the world come to visit these places of spectacular beauty and tranquility. But why are we so drawn to the great outdoors? Dr. Baumgartner believes one explanation is that people have a longing to connect to the creator.
1: I'm sure there are many reasons that people are attracted to the national parks, but I I suspect one of the important ones is that people have a a desire to uh, experience the transcendent. And uh, most of the national parks display geological processes that are staggering, and it stretches the human imagination to uh, contemplate what kind of process could have formed these majestic rocks that we see today. So I think there is a longing for the transcendent, that is behind much of the attraction
0: of these national parks. Dr. Dennis England is professor of biology at the Masters College in California. He says national parks are special places where we can get away from man-made structures and activities.
3: I find that it's an area that has been set apart, preserved, and it's an area that is not developed in the sense of a town You see, part of the difference is that when we go into a city or a town, we're basically viewing man's handiwork. But when we go into an area like a national park, we're actually looking at quite a different phenomena that occurs there. We need towns, we need areas, we need homes, we need that type of thing. We need transportation In fact, if it weren't for the roads, we couldn't get to these areas. So we do need those. But at the same time, we need the areas without the concrete. God pulls us apart to those areas.
0: And being in a natural environment, away from the hustle and bustle of daily life, can be refreshing and exhilarating.
3: When I go to these areas, I like to get alone with God many times. I think, too, that God gives us in our life, he gives us time Of rejuvenation, times that he pulls us apart. Now those times I don't think we would typically say would be riding in a subway, would be stuck in traffic with horns blaring, would be in a building with a lot of commotion and loud noise. Those aren't exactly the things that we as humans consider an area where we can rejuvenate ourselves. But we pull away to a quiet area where you hear the birds. You can smell the clover in the field. The beauties that God gave that humans cannot duplicate. Then his spirit can speak to us. Now, of course, he can speak to us in other areas, too, but we have fewer distractions.
0: The beauty and splendor of America's national parks truly show the handiwork of our great creator and are wonderful places for us to unwind and relax. But as Dr. England tells us, God also uses his creation to strengthen Christians and to draw non-believers to himself as well.
3: He reassures a Christian of God's strength, God's wisdom, of God's beauty. He reassures us when we get discouraged and uh, we get blinders on. But he also speaks to the non-Christian to say, you know, there's more out there than what you can see. And drawing them to him. We have many, many testimonies of people that have come to know the Lord because they wanted to know who made this. It's like going into an art gallery and you're awestruck and by a painting. And you say, I would love to know that artist that made that painting. It's interesting. Romans chapter 1 tells us that God reveals his eternal power and Godhead. And uh, it's so important that we link the creation with the character of the creator there. That we tie the two in together. And the Holy Spirit speaks to the one that doesn't know him, tries to woo him and draw him, and to say, look, you can see my handiwork now. Don't you want to know me?
0: If you'd like to learn more about ICR's upcoming guided tours of these awe-inspiring national parks, make sure to check out our website at www.icr.org. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org.